If you would, uh, take out your Bibles and turn with me to, I wanted to say Mark's Gospel, but that'll be in a few weeks. Uh, Turn with me once again to the book of Isaiah, one of the major prophets. Major not because he's more important, but major because he wrote a longer book. As we go to God's Word, let's turn to him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, at your word, we are gathered all to hear you. And so, Father, speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in all our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory, for we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, we are on week two of our four-week series for Advent, the Servant Songs of the Messiah, and even though we're taking a break from our current series, our time in God's Word during this month of December is serving as an extended commentary on one verse in Mark. Which verse is that? Well, it's the last verse we considered before taking a break. Mark 10, 45, a key verse in not just the gospel according to Mark, but a key verse in all of the scripture. And there we read, Jesus says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, where did Jesus get his human understanding that he had come to serve? To do the work of a servant. Well, I believe much of his understanding can be found in the book of Isaiah. And I believe that much of our understanding of Jesus as a servant, our servant, will be found there as well. We're considering these four servant songs, these four poems found in the book of Isaiah that we're calling the servant songs of the Messiah. Messiah. Children, you hear that word. Uh, There's a a great uh, musical work called the Messiah, and we use that word. Well, what does it mean? Messiah is a Hebrew word meaning anointed one. The Old Testament people of God came to anticipate a person anointed by the Spirit of God who would function once again as king and priest over Israel. And the New Testament uses the word Messiah, but instead of that word, they use Christos, or what we understand as Christ. And the New Testament shows us that that word Christ belongs only to Jesus, both as a title and as a personal name. Well, last week we heard song number one from Isaiah chapter 42. The servant is presented. Remember, we were called to behold this servant, my servant, his character and his calling. Well, today, we will see that the servant is sent. 
He will, be conti- he will continue to be presented, but the emphasis here we will see is him being sent. Next week we will see from Isaiah 50, the servant is obedient. And then finally on December 25th, we will see the servant is victorious from Isaiah 52 and 53. Now remember, Isaiah is a big book. 66 chapters, we're only looking at parts of four. Well, who was Isaiah? He's an 8th century B.C. prophet. Isaiah probably written around 700 B.C., And he's got twin themes running throughout Isaiah from beginning to end. The coming judgment of God, but also the coming salvation of God as well. Indeed, Isaiah can capture those twin themes running throughout all of Scripture. We saw in chapter 6 where Isaiah has a vision of the Lord as holy. But it's also where Isaiah gets a commission a call from the Lord to go to a people and he's told interestingly to blind their eyes and to stop up their ears. And the irony is, as you will see throughout Isaiah, is the people's ears are already stopped up. They are deaf. Their eyes are already shut. They are blind. And so one of the servant's works as we will have seen and will continue to see is he will open the eyes of the blind. He will unstop the ears of the deaf. Now, as we saw from uh, last week from Matthew 12 and this week from Acts 13, Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament. In fact, it's the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. It's the Romans of the Old Testament. It's the fifth gospel. And I forgot to mention that last week, but um, as I was driving yesterday, um, Uh, Yesterday morning, I was listening to an interesting documentary on Handel's Messiah, and it was talking about how so much of that, that, uh, those songs and the music came from Isaiah. And interestingly, the historian, who, whether she was a believer or not, referred to Isaiah as the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah. We see Christ in Isaiah. And again, children, what is the Old Testament? Promises made. And the New Testament promises kept. And in Isaiah, of all places, we see so many of God's promises made. And we see them kept and answered yes in Jesus. When you hear the word servant, what's your initial reaction? Is it look Someone who, who does the menial task, who, who, who you look down upon. I mean, they can't do anything else because they, they, they have to serve. And yet, think with me about the historical use of this expression, a public servant. Think with me just about England and kings of England who have servants around the king to do his work, and and in the course of time, that word servant became minister, minister to the king, and the king had one particular minister beside him, the prime minister, the prime servant, the prime public servant. Do you look down at that servant? Or rather, do you look up to that servant? 
servant. Well, beginning last week and continuing into this week, we will see the word servant in our text. And the question is, who is this servant? Isaiah at times makes it appear that it's Israel. At times a believing remnant of Israel. But more and more we will see the servant be referred to as one man. In chapter 41 verse 8, Israel is declared to be the official servant of the Lord. But as you can read in Isaiah 42, the rest of it after the um, song last week, Israel is bound, blind, and sinful. Israel is unfit. Because God's servant, remember, was called to be a blessing to the nations. And they have been found unfit. Again, we're not going at this from the approach of who is this servant because Matthew chapter 12 as well as in Acts chapter 13, we see the servant as Jesus. He is recognized as the fulfillment of Isaiah's expectations for God's servant. Now let's go to our text and look with me at this first verse, this first line. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. It's a command. Listen to me. Give attention to me, to my words. You often will hear me introduce the reading of the Old Testament and the New Testament with these words. Give attention to the reading of God's word. Last week in Isaiah 42, what did we see? How did Isaiah 42 begin? Behold my servant whom I uphold. Last week, look to him. This week, listen to him. The first song was look to him. This second song is listen to him. Uh, My sister is eight years older, and I had to put up growing up with an older sister who became a high school cheerleader. And so when I was about eight years old until about 12 years, 10 years old, I had every high school cheer memorized. Why? Because they were done in my house all the time. And one of them that I remembered is this, stop, look, and listen. Here come the mighty Bearcats. Now, my high school was the Bearcats, and I'm like, what a strange place. Does, anywhere, does anybody ever use Bearcats? And I later learned, of course, the University of Cincinnati. Stop, look, and listen. Here come the mighty Bearcats. We've been in Mark. And remember the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils? How does Jesus start that? Listen. Exclamation. Now, to be sure, that kind of punctuation is an editorial addition, but it conveys the emphasis Jesus puts on his word. Listen. Listen. Turn with me, everyone, to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Now, what we're going to be doing as we look through Isaiah, we're going to often go back to Mark because that's where we've been and that's where we're going. But remember Mark chapter 9. Look with me at verse 7. It's the transfiguration. 
And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Remember last week, Isaiah 42, the first song, the son, the servant is presented. Remember, whom up, behold my servant whom I, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. He's my beloved. But how does that voice from heaven continue? Listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The outline didn't make it into the printing of the bulletin on page six, but here it is. Three points. The servant is sent on a mission and his mission will be a success. The first point, the servant of the Lord The second point, is sent by God on a mission to His people. And third and finally, His mission will be a success. The servant is sent on a mission and His mission will be a success. Join with me as I read the rest of verse 1 all the way down to verse 7. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So let's look now at the servant of the Lord. First, his calling. Notice it is from before his birth. Now, others have been called before birth as well. We think of the prophet Jeremiah. We think of Others set apart from before birth. But more is going on here than that. It is a calling of a sovereign conscription. The draft is on and the servant is being conscripted to a special status and a special function. Notice that the servant is is called and named. We read at the end of verse 1, he named my name. 
There's a self-awareness of this servant, a self-understanding of his calling. We also see in looking at the servant, not just his calling, but his conduct. And it's one primarily of speech. Look at verse 2. He made my mouth, my mouth, like a sharp sword. He made me a polished arrow. We should immediately think of passages such as Hebrews 4. Verse 12, about the word of God that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We maybe could be thinking of Ephesians 6, that in the armor of God we read about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And in your mind with these evocative words that that Isaiah is, is using here is sharp sword and polished arrow. This word is going to be effective up close and far away. A sword, a a sharp sword for close in warfare that of course brings peace. And a polished arrow, one that is designed for long flight and to make it to its target. Swords and arrows, two pictures of the work of the word of this servant. But notice, interestingly, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. Wait a minute, you've got this sword and this arrow, and they're going to be hidden, and the arrows are going to stay in the quiver? Galatians 4.4, Paul writes this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, hidden and then revealed. Not only is the incarnation a revelation of the servant, but the cross is going to display The greatest work on behalf of our greatest need. And it was hidden. It was still unexpected. Even though Jesus had said three times to his disciples, this is what's going to happen. They're still not getting it. It's hidden but then revealed at the right time. We see his calling, his conduct, but we also see his confidence. This servant, no effort has been spared and yet no good has been achieved. Or so it seems, really. Did you see that? In verse 4, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. The servant of the Lord in darkness? Now this is not the darkness of Gethsemane. Where Jesus, as you remember, the night before his betrayal or the night before his crucifixion is looking ahead and he's, and he's sweating drops of blood at the agony of what lays ahead. No, that's not this. This is the darkness of his, of his work. Remember, he was at times frustrated 
with his disciples' failure to understand. We see that all throughout the gospel according to Mark. We will see in Mark chapter 14 when all of the disciples fall away. There's a darkness that accompanies the work of the servant. But notice in the middle of verse 4, those great words. Uh, Drew was speaking at... um, Uh, Fairhaven Rescue Mission this past um, Friday evening and a few of us were there and he gets to bring out his favorite two-word combination, but God, but God. Here is a but God as well. It's in the form of the word yet. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. The servant knows that judgment is in the Lord's hands. And he knows that the judge judges justly, as 1 Peter reminds us. Here the servant could be despondent, but the answer to despondency is to look to God, acknowledge His sovereignty, and rest trustfully in Him to perform His perfect will. Did you remember our responsive prayer? Do you remember these words? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a servant that identifies with those he came to serve. Look at verse 5 as he continues. There's a sense of dignity before God and a new spiritual vitality. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to to, um, be his servant, to to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. This servant is what? I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Look at verse 7. The one who was despised and abhorred, yet because of the Lord who is faithful, because the Lord has chosen this servant, what's going to happen? Kings will see and rise, princes, and they will bow down. And we see that alluded to in a place like Philippians 2, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, our servant knows us. He has walked before us. Well, as was the case in the first servant song of the Messiah, here we learn more about the servant. Not only do we learn about him, but we learn that he is being sent on a mission. We see in, these, in this text, the servant is sent by God on a mission to his people. And it's a dual mission to raise up, bring back as well as gather who? Those near and those far. Again, there's been confusion. Who is this servant? Is it Israel or is it a man? Well, this servant Israel is first distinct from the nation Israel, for it's his task to bring Israel back. The nation cannot be its own savior. And I thought about that more and more. Israel cannot save Israel. 
a true Israel, a faithful Israel can. And we see that and we'll see that more and more in Jesus. And I couldn't help but think about all the ways that people, including ourselves, still try to save ourselves. Salvation has to come from outside to us. It doesn't well up from us. So the servant is identified with Israel, but he is distinct from Israel. And yet, secondly, he is the true and only Israel. He's going to do what Israel was always meant to do. And what is that? To glorify God. To glorify the Lord. Notice this beginning of this song. It's a huge universal summons. Listen to me, O coastlands, O islands. And give attention, you peoples, from afar. It's as if the servant is speaking over the people Israel already to the nations. And of course, when you're yelling to someone way over there, those closest to you over here as well. But indeed, as verses 5 and 6 make clear, there is a mission to Israel, a mission to Jacob to, to raise up, to bring back those who are nearby, but also to the nations as well in verse 6. Not only to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Children, you who are here, you are who are here in believe families with mommy and daddy that believe and trust Jesus. What a privilege. What a joy. You are near. But others of us sitting here, we didn't come from a believing home. Who knows what the situation was? We were far away and yet the servant brought us home. The dual mission to those near, to those far. And so church, to be sure, we want others who have never known the name of Christ to be gathered in and growing. But as families have children and those children are raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord, as the church comes alongside and helps parents, those we long to come to know the Lord as well. And we've got some promises in God's word to help us with that. Look at the reach of the Lord. Look at the, short, the sword and the arrow. Are there people in your life right now you say, no way. Too far away. God cannot get them. Oh yes, he can. Are there people, otherwise you say, they are too close. They can't hear because they're so close. Same servant. Same Savior. The song has already revealed that the servant of the Lord is sent on a mission. And the song will go on to reveal that his mission will be a success. Let's look at verses 8 through 12. Now some say... The song ends at verse 7, and there's a good reason to say that. But others say that the song ends at verse 13, and I'm one of those who believes that the song goes on to verse 13. And so let's read verses 8 
through 12. Isaiah continues, Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage. Just saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them. And by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west and from the land of Syene. Let's look briefly at this relationship of the servant of the Lord and the Lord. The servant is answered and helped when? in a time of favor, in a day of salvation. Notice that the servant is kept and he's given as a covenant. Why? To establish the land of promise. Well, those of you that may be familiar with the scriptures, remember the gospel call. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of the Lord's favor. Here it is in Isaiah and throughout the New Testament as people are coming to know who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how someone should respond to the person and work of Jesus. Since today is a day of favor and since today is a day of salvation, what is the call? Of course, it's to repent and believe. It's what Jesus said at the beginning of his public ministry recorded in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Well, we see in this section, the servant speaks, and what does he say? In a word, the servant says this, follow me home. To the prisoners and captives, come out, he says, be free. To those in darkness, appear. In other words, come into the light. And notice on this way home, there is protection from inward weakness, hunger and thirst, as well as outward threat. There is wind and heat. No obstacle will stand in the way of this worldwide ingathering. Neither distance nor dispersion will stop the servant from bringing his people home. And you'll see in verse 12, and these from the land of Syene. Well, some of your translations may say Aswan. Some may say who knows what, because you know what? Nobody knows. And guess what? I think that's the point. Nobody knows how far God will go to gather his people. Nobody knows, but it's worldwide. It's to the nations. Well, just like the first servant song of the Messiah, this song begins as well as ends with a command. However, unlike the first song, which ended as it began with the same command to behold, this second song doesn't end with the same word with which it began. 
It began with the call to listen. And how does it end? With the call to sing. Look at verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. The command and call to sing. It's not surprising, is it? What do you do with a song, kids? What do you do with a song? You sing it. The song ends with a command to sing. Heaven and earth, contrasting realities that make up the totality of creation. Singing. It's, it's expressing, entering responsively into what the Lord has accomplished and to which His people contribute What? Nothing. The Lord has done it. All they do is sing. Why? Look at how the Lord is described. He does what? He has comforted His people. And He does what? He will have compassion on His afflicted. Comfort is what the Lord does. Compassion is who the Lord is. Comfort to and compassion for who? His afflicted people, afflicted by their own sin, afflicted by other people's sin, afflicted by life in a sinful and fallen world. Every Christian may not have a great voice. That was evident, um, Drew, Friday night, all the guys. We did not have great voices, did we? But what did we have? We had a song to sing. Stop, look, and listen. Here come the mighty bearcats. No. Stop, look, and listen. Here comes the mighty servant. This mighty servant of the Lord. He has come. He is here by His Spirit. And He will come again. Last week, Isaiah 42. Behold, see, look to the Lord and live today Listen, hear, listen to the Lord and live. Jesus Christ is the servant of the Lord. Look to Him to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Listen to Him as He calls you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him to eternal and everlasting life as God created it to be. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, long ago, at many times and in many ways, you spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, you have spoken us, spoken to us by your Son, through whom you also appointed to be the heir of all things, and through whom you also created the world. Father, he is the radiance of your glory. The exact imprint of your nature. Would you, Father, by your grace, enable us to both see him and hear him. Father, enable us today and tomorrow and all the way home to look to Jesus 
to listen to him and to live. For we pray in his name. Amen.